You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to conclude Romans 6 today as we continue in our series on sanctification. Lord willing, next week we start Romans 7, but we're concluding this awesome chapter in Romans chapter 6. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you, uh, almost 100% for sure, in the seat, or one of the seats in front of you, and you can find the book of Romans in the New Testament table of contents. Maybe someone beside you will give you a hand with that as well. If you're visiting with us, hey, so glad you're here. So, so, so glad if you're tuning in, maybe the first time some other way, so thankful you are as well. May the Lord speak to you. So, as we finish up Romans 6 today, again, moving into 7 next week, but we finish up Romans 6 today, Um, what Paul does is he provides us with the bottom line, okay? So he's made arguments all over Romans 6, and now he presents us with the bottom line. I I really like bottom lines, right? Bottom lines, like someone's talking, and sometimes they can talk um, a little bit long, and you're like, hey, man, give me the bottom line. Like, what's the point of what you're trying to say? Or people have made kind of arguments, and they've been presenting different ways, but in the end, all good communicators will conclude with a really strong bottom line. Here's the point of what I'm trying to say, and that's what Paul is doing by the Holy Spirit here in Romans 6 as well. Bottom lines become powerful summaries, very helpful clarity, understanding again what the point is that is being expressed. Here's how the Cambridge Dictionary defines the phrase bottom line. It's this on the screen for you. It is the final result or the most important consideration of a situation, activity, or discussion. Okay, so again, this is what Paul does for us today. Paul, who wrote Romans, he's giving us a bottom line after several uh, ways of arguing. Again, making his argument, he sums it up with the result. So here's what, in a sentence, here's what his bottom line is for us today. This is it right here. This is an important one, okay? There are two types of people in this world. You're only one of two types of people. That's it. For all people, no exceptions. You're one of two types of people. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. That is the bottom line. It's exactly what the Bible teaches us today. There are only two types of people in this world. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. So that's sobering. That's sobering because it's true. All of life, see, all the things we do, all of life comes down to that. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. The one leads to shame and death. The Bible tells explicitly today, the other leads to sanctification and life. The Bible will say that exactly to us today. So therefore, this bottom line, you have to listen today, this bottom line is the most important bottom line of our existence. There is no more important bottom line in all of life. Why? Because this bottom line, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to death. Or a slave to sin or a slave to God, I meant to say, slave to God. This will determine, again, your direction in life. This will determine death for you. This is the difference of people who die with hope and people who die with no hope, whether you're a slave to sin or a slave to God. And then obviously this will determine your ultimate destiny. This decides your entire future. You come down to one of two people, either a slave to sin or a slave to God. Now think about this, this is very important. So today is Super Bowl Sunday. Now some of you may be sitting here saying, what's the Super Bowl? I don't know what to say to you, okay? I'm not sure, okay? So... I'm a football fan, Super Bowl Sunday, it's one of the biggest events in the entire world on a yearly basis, okay? 
So I don't really care who wins this year. Some years I do, some years I don't. But someone's going to win tonight, and they're going to hold up a trophy, and that's a big deal. It's going to change their career. It's going to change kind of the team, how it looks. It's going to change the future. They get to go to Disney World, whatever it is. It's going to change a lot of what they're doing, okay? So it's going to have a huge, huge impact upon certain people. At least that's how it's perceived. But at the end of the day, no matter who wins, how many trophies you get, like Tom Brady, okay? It feels like you said whatever, okay? Some of you got that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's fine too, okay? But listen, you can hold the Zubro trophy. At the end of the day, you still get under one or two people. Slave of sin, slave of God, okay? You could have the most Instagram followers in the world. Cristiano Ronaldo, hundreds of millions of people, okay? Pictures of himself with his shirt off all the time. Not that I really know that, okay? But just, I did look it up. I did look it up this week. It's the only picture I saw. I'm like, wow, that's amazing, okay? Anyway, so there he is, hundreds of millions of followers. You could have a gazillion followers. At the end of the day, you come down to one or two people. Slave of sin or slave of God. You could be the wealthiest person on earth, billionaire upon billionaire, and you own nations, but you will still be one of two people when it's all said and done. You'll either be a slave of sin or a slave of God. That's humbling, man, and that's perspective. And this is the wisdom that the Bible is giving to us again today. All the things we try to do, all the ways we spend our life, all the motivations we have, career and money and this and status and popularity and blah, 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 blah. It all comes down. You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of God, and that determines your eternal destiny. Man, young people, listen up today. Listen up today. All people, listen up today. I mean, this is important stuff. Romans 6. Let's look at our text here. You can see it for yourself. Romans 6, verse 19. Paul says this. I'm speaking in human terms. He says that right away because he's using the analogy of slavery, which is not a perfect illustration, but he's trying to speak to them on their level so they understand. He says, because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. There's that word. Awesome, should be in your translation. I really hope it is. If not, you need to get a new Bible, okay? Just joking, just joking. Well, it's kind of joking. Anyway, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Fascinating. For the end of those things is death. But now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, set free from sin, one who's been born again, Alive in the gospel. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And here's the bottom line of bottom lines. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so we're going to take a look at this bottom line in three parts. We're gonna break it up into three parts today. Bottom line number one is this. To be a slave of sin equals lawlessness and death. If you notice in verse 19, Paul is describing a believer's former life before Christ. Okay, so someone before they were saved. He's saying you are a slave to sin, in his context, you are a slave to sin, notice, and the progression. When you're a slave to sin, then you're a slave to impurity. If you're a slave to, this is all verse 19, if you're a slave to impurity, then you're a slave to lawlessness. And as you're a slave to lawlessness, that leads to increased or more lawlessness. 
Now let's be very aware and wise what the Bible's teaching us about sin. Ready? Sin always desires more sin. Sin has an insatiable appetite for sin. Sin always wants to go to the highest level of destruction or disaster. That is why, again, if sin is left unchecked, jealousy will result and end up in murder. This is why the sin of lust will end up in full-scale adultery, if allowed, if unchecked. Because sin never stops at level one. Sin always wants to feed on more sin. And that's what verse 19 is showing us. When we're a slave to sin, impurity, lawlessness, and then increased lawlessness, because that's the path it takes us on. So Paul is using the imagery of slavery in Romans 6 seven times. Seven times slavery is mentioned in some form. That's significant, okay? But let us understand, in Romans chapter 6, slavery is being presented. It's, it's, it's not someone being forced against their will. Okay, I want you to listen to that. Slavery here is not being presented as someone who's being forced against their will. Think carefully. What Paul is saying is, slavery in Romans 6 is that our wills are enslaved. Meaning this, when our wills are enslaved, we are enslaved. Very, very important to hear this. We are enslaved to whatever our greatest passions, longings, and desires. Whatever we long for the most, we are enslaved to such things. It controls us. This can be really bad. This can also be really good in the context of our chapter. Okay. So again, to put even more simply, in life, we pursue that which is most attractive to us. We set the agenda for our lives upon that which we believe is most desirous or most attractive. Now let me understand that in, in our context, right? This can be really bad and evil and sin, enslaved to sin. We pursue, we love sin. But this can also be really good. We are slaves of God. We pursue righteousness. We pursue affection for Jesus Christ. We are changing because we long for him more than we long for the unrighteousness, the evil, the sin in our world or used to plague our lives. So our wills are enslaved to evil or our wills are enslaved to righteousness. So therefore, when Paul says, as a slave to sin, notice, you present yourself. Presenting yourself is, I place at the disposal of, I offer myself to sin. Right? So by way of example, okay? The man or woman who's enslaved to sin, and specifically the sin of lust, they will literally offer their bodies to pornography. They will sacrifice their members to the worship of pornography or adultery, whatever it may be, whatever sexual sin desires to destroy them. But you gotta think of it that way. When you're enslaved to sin, and this is God, you are literally offering your body to the sacrifice of such things. It just, it's sobering when you put it like that. That's exactly what's happening. It's serious stuff. Like, you're putting yourself on the altar of worship of sin. This is the terminology that the Bible is giving to us right here. So it becomes a very big deal. So look down at verse 20, okay? Verse 20. Very interesting. For when you were slaves of sin, notice this, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's a very interesting phrase. What does that mean? 
free, a slave of sin. I'm free in regard to righteousness. What this means is that in our old state, which was dominated by our old self, ready? Sin was more attractive than righteousness. We were dead to God. We were enslaved to sin. So our consciences were seared. Um, we didn't care about righteousness. Our hearts were stone, dead to the things of God. So then that's why righteousness had no power over us. We did not care. Why? Because the longing and passion for more sin enslaved our hearts. Jesus is very helpful here in John chapter 3. Some of the phrases, and Jesus kind of bottom lines it here too. Listen to this. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come, to, the light is Jesus Christ. The light has come into the world. And listen to this. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light. See, they're enslaved to sin. They love their sin. Therefore, they don't love the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Notice this. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, not just doesn't like light, hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? If you love sin and evil, you hate the light because the light exposes your sinfulness. So therefore you reject God and Christ and the light because you love your sin more than the light and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Incredibly telling. This is our whole world. No wonder there's the throwing out of God because God is the one who exposes us for our sin to point us in mercy and grace to be saved from our sin. But if you love your sin more than that, then you want nothing to do with it. Another powerful example of what we're learning here here is the biblical example of the prodigal son, right? Enslaved to sin. The prodigal son, Father, I want my inheritance. I want it now. Why does he want his inheritance? He wants his inheritance in sinful ways to party for pleasure. He wants to follow the path of sinfulness that sinful thinking will lead to sinful parting, sinful deeds. Notice this. His passion for sin only leads him into deeper slavery of sin. So that's massive, right? When we're traveling down the path of sin, we think we're pursuing freedom, but in reality, the Bible tells us, we're actually uh, pursuing slavery. Because sin enslaves Every single time. The sinful desires of the prodigal son led to sinful deeds and it finally resulted in his slavery with pigs, literally. He ends up with pigs. I love that we heard that in the testimony today in baptism. Praise the Lord for that. It's th this is the path though. He thinks he's going for freedom through sin, but he ends up enslaved and destitute. The Bible says he comes to his senses and Maybe my father will hire me as one of the hired servants, but the father opens his arms and welcomes him with grace and mercy and incredible love. Another picture of the amazing gospel in Jesus Christ. Isn't this a lesson for all of life though, right? Because listen, our world has it evermore in this nation presented freedom as everything or presented personal autonomy. Personal autonomy is the highest goal and idol. This is what we worship as a society as much as anything else. Personal autonomy. Yet it's the very idolatry and obsession with self 
that is leading so many to bankruptcy with pigs. Now think about it, right? Why and what is the great motivation in our a nation founded on God, a nation founded on the truth of God, a nation founded on God's word, a nation built on the understanding there is a God, Lord of all creation. What is the motivation right now among us to get rid of God? Why is there so much momentum and so much zealousness to get rid of God? Well, think about it. If you get rid of God, you get rid of righteousness defined by God. If you get rid of righteousness defined by God, then you get rid of morality also defined by God. If you get rid of God's morality, then you are free from a conscience under, again, the righteousness of God. And then you get to remove restriction of sin. If you remove restriction of sin, then you now become God and you get to redefine sin. And then you are God and you do whatever you want. So th this is the great motivation of chucking God out. And then, if, but God is replaced with us, which is just a disaster. And this is what we're living in as we speak. In fact, our society, what our society's done now, they have rejected God. They have thrown out his righteousness. They have re rejected his counsel of his will. And now what's happened, our society has now begun to call evil good and good evil. They have totally redefined the righteousness of God. If you want proof of this in God's word, Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Romans 1 is a massive text on this. It is, I just encourage you to read Romans 1. It just explains so much the context of God gave them up to their debased mind. So much of purity and sexuality is within this chapter 2. Look at this though. Like, look at how clear God's word is. Though they know God's righteous decree. See, it's not that humanity doesn't know. We do. We have a God-given maidenism as conscience. It's not that they don't know God's decree. That those who practice such things, they understand deep down, they deserve to die. Man. But not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Not only do they do them themselves, but they form laws to actually put in the approval sector what God calls evil, they call good, and what God calls, again, evil, they call good and good evil. It's, it's sobering. It's happening all around us as we see. So we ought to be men and women of tremendous discernment and to see this and understand this. If you take it back to ourselves and how it personally applies to us, how many of our stories involve of being slaves to sin? And we were living with a perceived freedom from righteousness, Right? But what was the end result? Look at verse 21. Here's the end result, okay? Verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Fascinating, eh? The clarity of God's word. Just like the prodigal son, right? We wake up one day and our version of freedom ends up in disaster, destitution, and death. Let's be, let's be crystal clear. The Bible says to us today, the fruit of sin is death. No exceptions. The end result for the pathway of sin is death. Um, young people, but all people, but young people, do not be deceived by the propaganda of our world that seeks to lie to you on an absolute daily basis, that just live your life, do whatever you want, just whatever feels right. Do not be deceived by the propaganda of the world. God makes it categorically clear today. He could not be any more clear. Again, the path of sin ultimately is death. 
We're living in a day right now, we are absolutely pummeled on an every single day. I'm so sensitive to it. I see it all the time. It's overwhelming for me at times, whatever. You're just seeing it, you're seeing it, and you're re- it's a lie, a lie, a lie. It's, it's satanic in its origin because, again, it's telling us that's a path to life. But in reality, God says so clearly, the path to sin is the path to death. No exceptions. We have to be so mindful. It's gonna come at a cost to live in this truth. You're not gonna be the most popular. You're gonna be rejected. Things are gonna happen. Probably get increasingly more tough as we go along. It's a huge call for denial of self, faith in Christ. But one day soon, Jesus Christ returned. And if you belong to him, he will take you as his own. You will be with him forever. And every second you live for Jesus Christ will be worth it. Takes faith though, doesn't it? Takes faith. But this is the truth. And this is the truth we hear again today. This life is very short compared to eternity. I'm telling you the counsel God gives us, man, live for him, live for him. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. There's only one of two types of people in this world. Only one of two types of people in this world. Notice two in verse 21. Notice it says here, for what fruit were you getting of which you're now ashamed? See, so when you're a slave to sin before Christ and you're just living on the pathway to sin, isn't it so true? What fruit did you get from that? At the end of the day, what was the result of that? What happened there? Of which you are now ashamed. And that's where I think that's so true. Like sometimes I think back to my old life before Christ. Like, and this is no exaggeration. I literally shudder sometimes. When I think about the things I did, I think about the person I was. Like it literally, now that the Holy Spirit lives within me and my eyes are open to Jesus Christ, I think about the things I literally will shudder in horror and shame as I reflect back upon my life before Jesus Christ. It's just like, oh. But then you apply the gospel. Then you apply the reality of forgiveness in Jesus Christ and it becomes a very humble, sobering moment being overwhelmed in God's mercy and grace when you realize all my sin, all my shame, all my horrific things, and yet Jesus Christ has forgiven me 100% and cleansed me by his blood. I mean, truly, we join with John Newton and say, amazing grace, so sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me that saved a wretch like me, total wretch, that Jesus Christ in his grace saved me by dying on the cross for my sins when I believed in him. What's the bottom line here? To be a slave of sin equals impurity, lawlessness, and death. So that's obviously some bad news. Here comes some good news, number two. Bottom line number two. To be a slave of God, though, equals sanctification in life. A slave of God equals sanctification and life. Look again at verse 19. In verse 19, notice some transitions here, halfway down. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, so now transition as a child of God saved in him, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Look also at verse 22, right? So end of verse 21. For the end of those things is death, First two words in 22, but now as a child of God, now saved in Christ, now born again, now new creation, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification guaranteed and its end is eternal life guaranteed. So this text is packed with contrasts and comparisons. I hope you've seen some of that. Let's get on the same page here, though, together with a chart on the screen of detailing, just in this passage, what it means to be a slave of sin, what it means to be a slave of God. Okay, here's what the Bible's presenting to us. 
when I'm a slave of sin, verse 19 tells us, I'm a slave to impurity, lawlessness, and more sin, more lawlessness. When I'm a slave of God, I'm now being sanctified, which just means I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I am becoming more and more like Christ as each day goes on. When I'm a slave of sin, I think I'm free from righteousness, but the reality is that's disaster because it always ends up in death and hell every single time. When I'm a slave of God, I'm actually set free from sin because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. He died for my sins, so I'm saved. A slave of God means I'm saved. I'm free from sin. I will live forever. When I'm a slave of sin, the result is shame and death. Every single time. Every single person, every single time. A slave of God, the fruit of my life is holiness, and the end result is eternal life. Verse 22. A slave of sin, I earn death. We'll get to that in a few minutes. I earn death through sin. A slave of God, I can't earn anything. A slave of God, I am given eternal, I'm given the free gift of eternal life, again, only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you're one of two people in this world. You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of God. No other options, no other choices. Notice here, um, the Bible's not looking for people's opinions. You ever notice that? The Bible's not polling anyone. Hey, let's take a poll and find out what we think about, you know, sin and death and life. And The Bible's not polling anyone or asking for opinions. The Bible's telling us this is the way it is. This is the way it is under God's plan that we are saved through Jesus Christ alone. If we reject him, then we're a slave of sin and the end of sin is going to be death. That's very, very important. I read this quote this week. I found it profound. I wanted to share with you. Douglas Moo said this in his commentary in Romans, okay? Listen to this. I mean, this is such a blast against evil in our day, the lies that we're all surrounded with. Genuine autonomy the highest form of worship in our society, is not an option. According to the Bible, genuine autonomy is everything in our society, and yet, this is so good and so clear, it's actually not an option. There's no such thing as genuine autonomy. Why? Here's why. Because if one is not serving God, then whether knowingly or not, you're serving sin. See, it's one or the other. It has to be. This is what the Bible teaches. If you're not serving God, then the only other option is to serve sin. So genuine autonomy doesn't, now there could be some people listening right now and like you're really mad right now. Like you don't like what I just said and you're feeling it and you're so mad because this, this is everything you believe in. But see, the truth of God's word confronts you right now and the truth of Jesus Christ in love because the truth sets you free And the truth right now is exposing the lie of the world that autonomy, it doesn't work. And it's not even real. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. And again, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure because we realize in our slavery to sin, Jesus set us free from sin. If we're set free from sin, we become slaves of God. We become slaves of God. We bear the fruit of God and his blessing in our lives. Now remember, say it again. Romans 6 is not presenting slavery as being forced against your will. Romans 6 is presenting slavery as a pursuit of what you find most attractive and most desirous. Our wills become enslaved to what we love, to what we long for. 
It's interesting here that Paul expects for the believer the fervency that you pursued sin before Christ would be the same fervency that you pursue holiness after Christ. So let's ask that question point blank here. Has our fervency for sin before Christ been replaced with a fervency for holiness after Christ? See, that makes sense, right? Because again, all of Romans 6, if you're saved in Christ, born again, set free, body of sin brought to nothing, dead to sin, alive to God, cannot die, live forever, right? It makes sense. You have been made a new creation. You are now God's possession. You have been set free. You can now see again, sin be diminished and live in victory. So it makes sense. If that's not happening, something's wrong. There's a disconnect if there's no desire for the things of Christ and the pursuit of holiness among people who say they're saved. No wonder then Jesus in Revelation chapter 3 uses the example in the church of Laodicea. He says, you are lukewarm. I spit you out of my mouth. Not my words, Jesus' words. You see there? Jesus says, listen, if we're in, the church is in, if you're alive in me, how can you be lukewarm? I spit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you are cold or hot. At least they are both good for something, but lukewarm's good for nothing. I spit you out of my mouth, Jesus says. Not my words, his words. It just heightens the reality if we're alive in Christ, the fervency for holiness and the desire by God's grace to see that transformation occur through our lives. This is why life is too short not to grow in Christ. This is why. Because the fruit, in verse 22, the fruit must be our sanctification. If we are truly saved, there must be sanctification. Listen, and when, when you start the justification train, you're not stopping that to glorification. You're, you're not stopping that. Some of you are like, what did you just say? And what do you mean? Here's a chart on the screen. Take a look at this. This is super helpful. Look at the process of salvation here. This is us dead in sin. This is before Christ. And at some point, if we are saved, we are converted, justification. We are made alive in Jesus Christ. We're set free from sin. Now, listen, when justification happens, you cannot stop this process. You cannot stop this. This must, now look, look at bouncing a yo-yo up the stairs, right? Sanctification. There's gonna be good days, bad days, good days, bad days, but your trajectory is going upwards towards Jesus Christ. But the point is here, if you've been set free from sin, the end, our text, verse 22, is sanctification and its end is eternal life. You die, but you live. Though he die, yet shall he live. The promise is you die physically, you live spiritually forever with Jesus Christ in perfection, no more sin ever, praise the Lord. Can't wait, right? But if you are truly justified, you are sanctified, and the end is glorification, free from sin altogether, and eternal life. When this is begun, the rest must follow, must. That's what verse 22 is saying. So if we're set free from sin, then here's a great question. What sin in our lives then is to be smashed next. What the devil does, the devil puts us in a place where you'll never change, you'll never change, you'll never change. That's sin, that besetting sin. We've asked that every sermon so far in this series. What is your besetting sin? That sin, you'll never get over it, you'll always be that way, continue to wreck your marriage, continue to wreck your family, continue to wreck your relationship with your children, continue to wreck your friendships, continue to wreck your church, continue to wreck any form of leadership. You'll never get over that. It's just the way you are. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You've been set free from sin. Sanctification is guaranteed. What sin needs to be smashed next? What 
sin in your life, are you gonna take the promises of Jesus Christ and say, man, I'm done with that. By God's grace, his Holy Spirit, I'm gonna see victory. Now, by way of example, let's get a sin that we all struggle with, one of the most pervasive sins in our lives. Let's put it on the table. Let's diagnose it, dissect it, and let's see if we can see some more understanding. Let's take the sin of selfishness. Oh, already that hurts. Already that hurts. Selfishness, pernicious. There's a, um, a chapter I've been reading recently on this. It's a, it's a biography of John Newton. There's a whole chapter on Newton's battle with selfishness with he took so very enlightening, very convicting. Very, this is what he says. Self, again, we just want to put, let, let's take one sin, put it on the table, and let's examine it. Let's try to kill it. Selfishness is spiritual enemy number one to the Christian life. Look at this, the universal idol. I mean, just pause for a moment. Just look at your life and how much selfishness creeps into everything you think, do, and say, and, and it's incredible. United to Christ, though, here's the good theology, Romans 6. United to Christ, Christians are empowered to crucify selfishness. This is why Christ died for us. We've been set free. We can crucify selfishness. This can be overcome. Listen, the branches, though, selfishness is the root. The branches of selfishness. Ever thought about this? The root selfishness, the branches, the fruit of selfishness, sinful ambition, conceit, self-seeking, bitter jealousy, enmity, gossip, slander, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, grumbling, divisions, envy, and the rest. All branches of selfishness at its root. Left unchecked, selfishness will stoke these interpersonal sins and stew disharmony. We're looking at selfishness. We got on the table, man. We're starting to examine it a little bit and seeing all this devastation. Here's one more quote I want you to see on this. And Tony Renke continues based off of Newton's teachings. If selfishness didn't exist, distortions of Christianity wouldn't exist. Self-absorption wouldn't exist. And jealousy in the church wouldn't exist. The gospel of all sufficiency of Christ is at its core a profound message that calls for the denial of self, conviction of the truth, death to the praise of the world, in the spirit of humility and joy, the very things selfishness opposes. And then he quotes John Newton right here. He says this, beware of the worst of evil spiritual pride rooted in selfishness. And then I love this. I read this. I love this so much. Pray earnestly for a deep sense of your own insufficiency. Man, I love that. I just want you to sit in that for a second. Like, this, if, if, if all of us prayed this with fervency, our church would change. Your home would change. Can you imagine you walked around your marriage praying fervently for a feeling of your own insufficiency? That would be powerful, man. Like this isn't a denial of that you're saved by God and that God loves you and delights you. It's not a denial of that. It's just an awareness. I can't do anything without him. Pray fervently for a deep sense of your own insufficiency that kills things like selfishness. So we took one example of a sin that's very pervasive. We got it on the table. We started to unpack it and examine it together and diagnose it and, and dissect it. And we're seeing, now listen, listen. Do you think as a believer in Jesus Christ that you can overcome selfishness? And the answer is yes. Do you want to is another question, right? Like, do you want to is another question. But in Jesus Christ, set free from sin, I don't have to keep living this way. 
One of the things I had lunch with my wife this week, Jill, and I was sitting down with her. I just want to express to her too, just saying, listen, Romans 6, what Romans 6 is doing for me, it's putting in front of me with great detail and depth in a way that I have not seen before the reality of the theology that I have been set free from sin. So my faith now, so what happens is the the truth I've been set free from sin, the promise of the result, and what's in between the truth and the result is faith. So, Nat, Robbie, do you believe that Christ has given you the power to overcome such sin? That's what I've been confronted with. Do you believe that, Robbie? Yes, Lord, I do. Let's go then. Let's go, bro, right? Let's, let's see some change. Let's, let's believe then what Christ has done, because either this is true or not, and it is, so therefore, if the old self is crucified, if the body of sin brought to nothing, if I've been set free from sin, I don't have to then be selfish the rest of my life. I can see victory over that by Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm being challenged by. And starting to take that more and more seriously to see victory, small and big, in my life. What about you? What about you? See, the clarity is awesome, and the potential is also awesome, right? So selfishness is the negative example. Here's the positive example, Galatians 5. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. What part of God's fruit is the Lord working on you the most right now? Believing by faith in the theology presented to you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which one of these is the Holy Spirit like? Let's double down on self-control. Let's double down on love or patience, gentleness. Like just, this is what God does in us when we're saved and alive in him. You gotta believe in faith to say, yes, I don't have to be grumpy my whole life. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to struggle with a lack of, like, like this is what Jesus Christ died us for, that he placed his Holy Spirit, that we might see his fruit and increase self-control as we live our lives. Faith to believe what we're learning and faith to receive and appropriate that which God has given to us. Let me ask you again, what sin needs to be smashed next? What fruit can you expect next? What fruit can you expect next? Those alive in Christ. The bottom line, a slave of God equals sanctification and life. One more bottom line, briefly, powerfully. This is the bottom line of bottom lines. Number three, sin earns death, Jesus gives life. Sin earns death, Jesus gives life. Look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice verse 23. The wages of sin is death. What's a wage? What's a wage? A wage is something you earn. So we sin, and by sin, we earn death. We do it. We sin, we earn death. Notice the contrast, what follows. But the free gift of God, see, when does a gift cease to become a gift? When you earn it. You can't earn a gift. If you earn a gift, it's no longer a gift. So a gift, by its very essence, is grace. It's given to you in love. Notice this gift Again, a gift doesn't cost anything. This gift is free. Right in the text. A free gift. The free gift. What's the gift of God that's free? His son, Jesus Christ. 
who died on the cross for our sins. Some of you are here right now and you've never truly heard the gospel and you're like, wait, time out, time out, Robbie. You're telling me I can't earn my salvation. I can earn sin and death. I can't earn I, like, not being a good person. That, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. You mean like, like I don't have to do anything to be saved? That's true. You mean it's a free gift from Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for me. He paid for my sins. And I just have to receive the gift he offers to me. And it's free? Yes, I know. It's incredible. It's the gospel. It's the best news ever told, ever. How do I receive that gift then? The only thing you have to do is believe. The way you receive the gift is to believe that Jesus is holding it out before you and asking you to receive it. But people don't believe in Christ. They might hear of the gift or might glance at it. Like, I don't believe in that. And they walk past and they don't receive it. And they earn death. But Jesus holds out the free gift of eternal life at that. Eternal life. Only in, not in any other person, any other religion, any other historical figure. Only in Christ Jesus our Lord. He holds out the free gift of eternal life. And the single way I receive that is by believing that he died for my sins, he rose from the dead, and he's the Lord of the universe. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him for that, you shall be saved, as we heard today earlier as well. The bottom line of bottom lines, sin earns death, Jesus gives life. Sin earns death. All people who ever existed, every single human ever, earn death. Jesus gives life to those with faith.